All right, good morning again, James chapter 4. Yeah, that door's open. <clears throat> James 4. What a good song. Let's pray. <clears throat> Oh God, I pray that we would have your presence as we come humbly before you, Father. In fact, that's one of my desires and prayers for myself and the people of God, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would draw nigh unto you. What a blessed promise to those that draw nigh to you, you will draw nigh to them. But Father, we must draw nigh to you, not in our own way, not after our carnal feelings, but Father, in accordance with your revealed will and your holy word. Help us, Father. Your word says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when he is near. Oh God, I believe you're near now. Please speak to us. Forgive us for our sins. Father, um, uncloud our minds. Help us to fix our hearts and our minds, our attention upon Thee, so that we may attend upon Thee without distraction. I thank You for all these precious souls. I pray You would bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll read the first ten verses. Uh, the text is from verses 6 to 10. Um, we probably won't make it to 10. It's probably, uh, we'll talk about verses 6 to 8. But let's read the first 10 verses, James says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Our text begins with a conjunction. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, you who are fighting and warring among yourselves. Resist the devil. Stop taking the bait, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Why mourning? Because of your sins, how you've sinned against God. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Back to verse 6. Our text begins with a conjunction. The word but is a conjunction. 
It's like saying, hey, you did really good cleaning up the yard, but what about all that junk right there? My wife always tells me that. <laughs> She'll say, but what about that? And she's right. And so the scriptures have conjunctions. This is one. They had sinned greatly against God. You too, huh? The sin, they had sinned greatly against God. And his first words are wonderful. But he gives more grace. There's conjunctions all throughout the scriptures. And I think of the one in Genesis 6. The whole world was full of wickedness and sin. Every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Psalm 138.6 also says, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath, yet is a conjunction, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Though the Lord be high, he respects the lowly. But the proud he knows afar off. And you see that in the text when we look at it here. And of course our text, but he giveth more grace. Now listen, up to this point in chapter 4, James has scolded and rebuked the scattered believers. They were fighting among themselves. They were self-serving. They were lusting. They were praying evil and carnal prayers. And they had drifted back into the world. They had, they had begun to reassimilate into the world. That's a dangerous thing for any child of God. Because remember, when God saves you from your sins, he also saves you from the world. He saved you from the world's philosophies. He saved you from the world's gospel that they're preaching. And the world's gospel is from the God of this world who's Satan. It's full of lies and deceit. And so he saved you from all of those things. And so James is rebuking them in the first five verses of this chapter. You look at some of these things and you think, man, that's terrible. But don't get too high-minded. We could find ourselves in that place if, 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 we, if we become selfish and self-serving. If we begin to drift into the world, we begin to think like the world. And be so careful of what you watch on the TV because Hollywood is discipling disciples as well. And so we begin to adapt ideas. We begin to talk like we hear on the TV. Be, be so careful of that. And then finally, the th this is the third battlefront is, is the devil, um, the wicked one. But I want to go back to that verse 5 just for a moment because... And he says, do you think that the Spirit saith in vain? Now, he kind of personifies the Scriptures here. The Scriptures don't audibly speak, but they do say. And so it's written. So he says, do you think the Scriptures say this in vain? Now, first of all, we know that the Scriptures don't say anything in vain. There's nothing that's written in the Word of God that is to no purpose. Nothing at all. So the Scriptures don't say anything in vain. So James is asking, do you think that the Scriptures say in vain? And then he gives this puzzling, to me it's puzzling. I'm going to tell you what I said last week. And it might still mean what I said last week. But this is a passage that puzzles many commentators. In other words, they, they're trying to understand what James is saying. Now, oddly enough, you know, you can go to some portions of Scripture and there can be maybe two or three different understandings. And every one of them is not against the truth of God's word. Each one has merit. So, so that's here we are um, where James says, and last time what I said was, is this is our carnal spirits. I said, listen, do you think that the scripture speaks in vain? And listen, my Bible's even got cross-references back to Genesis 6, 
Every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. Back to Genesis 8, which was after Noah came out of the ark. So it, the Bible cross-references that. Um, now, the cross-references don't necessarily have to be true. They, they're not always true. They're not always right. But, but it, it references. So, so that's one thought. But then think about this. Now, the word spirit is not capitalized. Um, so just take that all into account. So think about this. Was James asking them this? Does the Holy Spirit which dwells in us provoke us to lust or cause us to envy? That's another thought concerning this verse. In other words, does the Holy Spirit do that in us? Well, no. We know the Holy Spirit does not do that. Was James telling them, and this, listen, think about these with the context. Was James telling them, that is the scattered Jewish believers of his day, was he telling them, you are so full of envy and contention, therefore understand that you are not being led by the Spirit of God? And we can say that if I'm sinning, the Spirit doesn't lead you to sin. No. No, the Spirit doesn't lead you to sin. So is he saying you're not being led by the Spirit of God, but you're lusting and you're envying? Those are not fruit of the Spirit. If you go back to Galatians, you don't have to go there, but if you go to Galatians, the Bible, Paul wrote about the works of the flesh are these. Lusting, envy, strife, division, hatred, variance, all those things. But after that, he says, those are the fruits of the flesh. After that, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. So they were grieving the Holy Spirit. No matter how you look at this passage, the people of James's day, the, the Christians of James's day, by their behavior outwardly were grieving the Spirit of God, obviously by their thoughts. Now, the final thought on that is Galatians 5.17 says that the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Galatians 5.17, you know that. And the spirit against the flesh. Well, the spirit doesn't lust in a way sinfully. But what the spirit does, and the, I guess the question is, this is, the last thought is, does the spirit yearn within us to turn from our carnal ways and turn from our sins and return to Christ? Is that what this means? So I wanted to put those out there, not to confuse you, but to understand I think each one has merit. This could be our carnal spirits. This could be the Holy Spirit. No, he doesn't make you lust and envy and, and live your Christian life as a mean Christian. Those two words should never go together. Or it could mean that the Spirit of God yearns with a, with a divine jealousy that you would walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So those are just some thoughts that I wanted to throw out there. Um, and listen, if you have questions or you have anything to say, just please tell me after. But now we continue in verse 6. So James has reproved them. He's rebuked them for their sins. And now in this section, he's calling them to repent and return to God. He's giving them directions on how to do that. And listen, I love so much how this verse begins. In my mind, you know, a lot of times when you say, but it's bad. You did good, but you passed the test, but you got a C. You know, for me, when I was in school, a C was good. 
because I was an average underperforming student. But I love so much how this verse begins. It's a happy conjunction and the words following. So it's like James saying, you've sinned terribly against God. But he, that is God, giveth more grace. I cannot help but think of, turn back to Romans 5 and verse 21. I cannot help but think of this passage. He giveth more grace. Listen, I want you to remember that today, and I pray you'd remember it always, God gives more grace. And because God gives more grace, and we'll see what Paul wrote here in Romans 5, 20 and 21, it doesn't mean that we're free to sin more. No, when we sin, as we talk to the young people in the back today, when God saves a sinner, that sinner views sin in a whole different light or in a whole different dark that they used to view it. They hate their sins. In fact, if you ask the little ones, I told them, if there's anything you should hate, it's your sins. It's when you do wrong because it's against God. And so here Paul says in verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So that the law entered, it means the law came in beside that the offense might abound. In other words, the law, the written law came in so that sin would look worse. That it would be exceedingly sinful. Romans 7. That we would know we're sinners. And he says, but where sin abounded, look at that conjunction, I love that conjunction, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. About, much more abound means is it excels all of our sin. There's a hymn we sing, grace that is greater than all of our sins. That should never push us to sin more. In fact, Paul says that at the beginning of the next chapter. He says, oh, he begs the question of those that would fight against the truth of this doctrine. He says, so shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Because it sounds like that's what you're saying, Paul. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. So that's what he's saying. Look at verse 21 says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, past tense, even so might grace reign through righteousness. Might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so James is telling the people that it's sin. You've sinned, but he gives more grace. Listen, sometimes we fall into sin, right? But beloved, regrettably, sometimes to our shame, we sin and we know we're sinning. We sin and we know we're doing it and we do it anyway. Pride blinds us to our sins. In fact, in Obadiah, I think it's verse 3 of Obadiah, there's only one chapter, there's a passage there that says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Pride will blind you to seeing your own sins. And this is kind of kind of lead into the text uh, as text following. Listen, your pride will cause you to resist God rather than to submit to God. Your pride will keep you from acknowledging and forsaking your sins and confessing your sins with contrition. With remorse, you've heard people say, yeah, he asked for forgiveness, but there was no remorse. There was no humility. 
He wasn't really sorry for his sin. Sometimes we sin. And listen, that passage in the Old Testament, um, the words a high hand, to sin with a high hand means to sin presumptuously. And we we should be the most afraid of presumptuous sins. Sometimes we sin against our husband, our wife, our brother, our sister, our children. We allow wicked thoughts to fill up our minds. And then it comes out outwardly in our actions, in our hands, in our feet, in our mouths. We say things that we regret. And then when we finally come to ourselves, and this has happened to me many times, we cry out like Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, or from the body of this death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's the deliverance, beloved. And listen, I will tell you as a Christian, that thought should come out in you in a spiritually natural way. Oh, wretched man that I am. We just sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I don't deserve your grace, Lord. I don't deserve your mercy and I don't deserve your forgiveness. None of us do. I go back to our happy conjunction. But he giveth more grace. But I don't deserve it, Lord. But he giveth more grace. No, you don't deserve it, saith God. But never forget, dear souls, that when we come to ourselves, where do we run for forgiveness? To the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. And when we come with humility and with contrition and we confess our sins to the Lord, the Bible teaches that God gives more grace. It doesn't make sense that God would be gracious to me. It doesn't make sense that God would be gracious to you. But God is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. Look at Romans 5. You're right there. You should be. Romans 5, 9. I want you to see these two words much more. Remember, in James 4, 6, it begins with, but he giveth grace. He giveth more grace. He giveth grace. Notice there in verse 9, or verse 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, means in our stead. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There it is again. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life. Look at verse 15, same chapter. But not as the gift, or I'm sorry, but not as the offense so also is the free gift. And what he's saying is the free gift is nothing like the offense or the trespass. Let's move on. For if through the offense of one, that's Adam, many be dead, there's those two words again, much more, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. 
it means that abounded to many means there's enough and more. There's enough to spare. There's an exceedingly abundantly rich amount of God's grace. And then verse 20, we just read that, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So James, having rebuked and scolded them for their sins, now lovingly tells them, God giveth more grace. But be warned here. Go back to James 4, 6. Be so careful, because no grace is given to the proud. There will be no grace. There will be no compassion to the proud from God. If you resist God in your pride, if you resist God in your arrogance, now listen, pay attention, God will resist you, and his resistance is much greater than yours. You don't want God to resist you. If you're outside of Christ, you don't want God to oppose you. Be so careful of pride, my beloved brethren. If you're lost, be so careful about raising your fist to God and refusing to turn from your sins to Christ. You're sinning against a holy God. You don't want God opposing you, and that means He thrusts you out of His presence. It actually, the word resist actually means God sets Himself against you in battle array. You don't want any part of that. Now let me show you something from a wicked king. 1 Kings 21. Go back to 1 Kings. This is Ahab, a wicked, wicked king. 1 Kings and verse 21. And what I want to show you here is, because the part of our verse that we're at is James 4, 6. He says, but he giveth more grace. There's a period. And then it says, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Grace. God gives grace to the humble. But no grace is there to the proud. Now, in this passage, I want you to see how valuable humility is in the eyes of God. Even in a wicked man. I want you... It, it's, it's worthy of note to see this. Now, look at verse... Let's see. Verse 25. Now, what happened here is is Naboth had a vineyard that was near the kingdom or maybe near the wall. And Ahab went and saw this, this vineyard of Naboth who was a Jezreelite. And he says, hey, give me your vineyard. I'll pay you for it. He goes, I can't do that. It's against the laws in Israel. He says, it's got to be for my family. And Ahab went home and, and pouted like a baby on his bed. He went home and wife Jezebel, she came in and she says, what are you, what's wrong with you? I kind of picture him sniveling. Naboth won't give me his vineyard. She said, you're the king. So they raised a false witness against him, had him killed. Ahab went and took possession of the vineyard. God sent his prophet. And in verse 25, says, but there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. There's a message in that for wives. Be, be careful, wives, of stirring up your husbands in the wrong way. 
And there it is right there. She stirred him up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words of the prophet that he, he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes, which was a sign of repentance and mourning. He put on sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see that? He said, Do you see how Ahab humbled himself before me? Man, God took notice of that, even in a wicked king. Now, do I believe Ahab got saved? I don't. God knows. Seeth how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. So God would let him go off and one of his sons, that would be the king. That's who God would reserve that for. God loves humility. We could see it there. Listen, God gives grace to the contrite. Contrite means broken. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the lowly. And this is how you return to God, James tells these people. This is how you return to God. If you've sinned, Christian, this is how you return to God, with submission to God and in humility. That's how you return. But no grace will be given to the proud. No grace at all. Not to the proud, to the arrogant, or to the impenitent. If you're back in James 4, if you, you can get back there. Verse 10, <clears throat> it's a song we sing. Maybe we'll sing it after this. But James writes, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. <clears throat> Listen, if there's any lifting up that would happen in your life, any exaltation, let it be God that does it. Don't exalt yourself. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He who exalts himself shall be abased. They'll be put low. They'll be put low. Listen, let Proverbs, turn to Proverbs 3.34. I think this is the quotation that James takes this from because in verse 34 of Proverbs 3 Solomon writes surely he scorneth the scorners a scorner is a scoffer a mocker of God one who's proud and arrogant against God here it says God scorns the scorners but notice he gives grace he gives grace to the lowly Isaiah 57, 15, one of my favorite passages. Turn there, I want you to see this. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. If there, will be, if there was an overarching theme over this entire message, it would be pray for and desire godly humility. Pray for and desire godly humility. Listen, Jesus himself humbled himself. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. But look at verse 15 here in Isaiah 57, 15. 
For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God will dwell with you. God will give you more grace. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you say, I'm a Christian, if you're proud, God will resist you. God resists the proud. 1 Peter 5 5. 1 Peter 5 5. Pride is never good. It's never good to be proud. Because when you're proud, you're saying, Look at me, I'm something. Paul said in the Corinthians, If any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so, beloved, we, listen, Jesus is the only man that ever walked the planet that could say, I am meek and lowly in heart. And he was 1,000% right. You see a man or a woman touting their humility, and I'll tell you that they're touting it in pride. Beloved, pray for humility. Don't exalt yourself. Pray for it, beloved. Look at Peter 5.5, 1 Peter 5.5. Likewise, you younger... Submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. He's talking to the Jewish believers. And be clothed with humility. It ought to be your clothing. For God resisteth the proud. There it is again. And giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore unto the, under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. If you would be exalted, if you would be raised up and lifted up, let God do it. Let God do it. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And so, beloved, that's what we must leave to God. So they'd sinned against God. <clears throat> and you might have sinned against God. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. But there's the third adversary. Or there's the chief adversary, and that's the devil. In fact, the Bible teaches us that he is your adversary, the devil. We'll see that in a moment in the scriptures. We all have an adversary to contend with. We must resist the devil because he is going to try and bring us back into his realm, back into his world. Listen, he is a tireless adversary. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's not this big, scary-looking figure that you see in the movies. He is a wicked spirit, and he's going to try and influence you in your mind to do things that you should not do that are against God. He wants you to sin. He wants you to fight. He wants you to envy and hate one another. He wants you to hate your brother and sister. He wants that. So when you find yourself in the middle of a fight like that, ha, devil's going, ha, ha. He's clapping. No, beloved. No, beloved. That's why it's so important what we'll see in a moment. Submit yourselves to God. Listen, you can't fight him in your own strength. 
but he is going to tempt you. He is going to influence you to sin. He's going to influence you to have a bad attitude, to think wicked thoughts, and to spew out hurtful words. He will. You spew out hurtful words to somebody, you think that's right? No, we know it's not. Can a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Shouldn't. And Jesus even said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, all these bad things. And they defile the man. And listen, when they come out of the heart, they come out of the mouth. And so, beloved, we need to be so careful with that. And so, you're right there in First Peter. Let's go on in verse 8. He, he tells us, and this is really our charge to be on guard. Be sober means serious. Be vigilant means spiritually awake. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. In the faith is the Greek word pistis. It means the truth. Resist him with the truth. And you see why it's so important for you to, to have a good steady intake of the word of God. To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you will be strong to resist the devil. And that the spirit of God will come out in you and you will resist him. And look, the Bible says when you do, he will flee from you. It says that in James. But he says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There's no Christian in here that the devil doesn't come after. Not one of you. You might say, I don't have trouble with that. <laughs> Well, check your salvation then. Verse 10. I love it. It's another conjunction. But the God of all grace. That's the answer. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Remember, Beloved of God, you cannot resist the devil in your own strength. Don't try. You must resist him steadfast in the faith. And as James says, resist him and he will flee from you. And beloved, <clears throat> in your everyday life, you can't be ignorant of his devices. His devices means his methods. He has methods. And listen, if you're a husband and wife and you know you've been married for a while or you've got friends, you know that there's little things that may be a weak point in your life or something that you, a besetting sin, and he's going to come and try, and try and thump that sin and make you start something. Don't think you can't be used by the wicked one. You can. And don't think that. But we must resist him. And he will flee from us. Listen, you can't resist the devil in your own strength. I think, think I said that already. You need grace and strength from God to resist him. Look at Ephesians. Just turn back. Just I won't read the whole passage, but just a, in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. When Paul says here, be strong in the Lord. At the end of this chapter, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That doesn't mean you be strong. When he says in the Lord, it means that it is an alien strength. 
It's spoken in the passive. It means that this strength must come from another one, and that one is God. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, not yours. This is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Christianity. This is falling on your face, Christianity. Be strong in the Lord. You won't be if you're not strong in the word, beloved. And by strong in the word, I mean conversant in it, devoted to Christ in it. Not saying you need to be a deep theologian and know all the mysteries of the scripture, but the scriptures are simple enough to God's children that they can understand his commands and they can understand those things that they are called to do so that we don't give him the advantage. In fact, 2 Corinthians says that. Don't be ignorant of his devices lest he get the upper hand, the advantage. Don't give him the advantage. And listen, most times when we fall into sin, we've given him the advantage. We've given it to him. Remember this. Satan can only tempt you and influence you. He cannot make you sin. He cannot make you sin. When you sin, it's yours. James even said that. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So don't ever say, well, the devil made me do it. Nope. You did it of your, you did it of your own accord. So remember that, my beloved brethren. And so... Um, Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil so that you can resist. For we wrestle not. Here's where the war is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So James is continuing to point them back to God. And first order of business in this text is to remember that they have an adversary. Now, he moves on. And if you get back there, James chapter 4. If you go back to James chapter 4. In verse 8. So he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. And listen. Humility is an essential if you would be gladly submissive. Humility is an essential if you would be gladly submissive. If you don't submit yourself to God, you're proud. You're full of pride. If God says something and you say no, God resists you. And don't ever think that you might learn textbook stuff about God, but you'll not commune with him, you'll not fellowship with him, but he's got you at a stiff arm and he sets himself in battle already until you repent of that pride. But look, he says, next, after resist the devil and he will flee from you, then he says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's amazing. So if I draw nigh to God, he's going to draw nigh to me. Who wouldn't want that? Look at Zechariah. If you turn back, it's just Zechariah. Let me show you something. Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, chapter 1, rather. Chapter 1 and verse 1 to 4. Who wouldn't want God to draw nigh unto them? Well, he's telling us. Remember what we saw about humility in Ahab, right? 
And we know God delights in it. It's of great value. God takes note of it. But think about humility in the righteous. Look at verse 1, Zechariah 1.1. 1, 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Listen, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Isn't that wonderful? Look, be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. I'll, that's amazing. You draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you, God says. Listen, that's, that's a catalyst. It ought to be for us to look at that and say, what a precious promise in the scriptures that if I draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to me. To draw nigh means to come close. But how do you draw nigh to God? How do you draw nigh to God? Well, we know it's impossible to draw nigh to God for those who are not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you cannot approach God. There is no approaching to God. Listen, in Adam, we were cast out of God's presence. So a lost sinner can't draw nigh to God. The first part of them drawing nigh to God is to bow in repentance and faith and humility, to submit themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in Adam we were cast out of God's presence, but in Christ we may come to God. We may come into the presence of God. And we have the privilege of this, continual access into the presence of God. Continual access. Listen, I pray that your spiritual minds, the new man in you, would be provoked and incited Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. I, I pray that you'd see the great privilege that you have as a child of God. You've been adopted into, into the family of God. You've got access to the Father. Ephesians 2.11 says, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, in other words, you were lost, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, by Jews, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what every sinner is. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh made nigh by the blood of Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, Romans 5 says, we have peace with God. And we don't only rejoice in that, but we have this grace. I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting it right. Let me go back. He says in Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 2, he says, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. 
Listen, that's a, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And here's the question for you, and I'm going to start winding down here. How much, do you, how much do you avail yourself of this grace and privilege of drawing nigh to God? How much do you draw nigh to God? It's not just talking about in the prayer closet. It is. But how often do you draw nigh to God? How often do you take advantage of this privilege of access? How much do you commune with God? We should constantly be, be drawing nigh to God. Let me just show you a few passages. Um, Psalm 34, and then we'll, we'll close. Psalm 34 and verse 18. There are so many places to go here, and I only chose three references. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh. Listen, there's some qualifications for God drawing nigh to you. You need to draw nigh to him with humility. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, one of the qualifiers, and saveth such as be of contrite spirit. It kind of goes along with God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace, gracious. God's gracious to the humble. God equips them. God gives them what they need to walk this Christian life. Psalm 73 and verse 25. Psalm 73 and verse 25. I think that so often we don't realize the great privilege of God's grace toward us. I think we don't realize it. And I think sometimes we're just dead in our minds. Look at verse 25 of the Psalmist 73:25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish, Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. And then finally, Psalm 145, one verse. Psalm 145 and verse 18. Psalm 145 and verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. Here's the qualifier. To all that call upon him in truth. I've heard people say, you know, I worship God my way. God resisteth the proud. God resisteth the proud. God and I have an understanding. I had someone tell me that. Me and God have an understanding. No, you don't. No. Sadly, that man is dead now. He knows now. Listen, in closing, if you're lost and you're outside of Christ and you've heard the gospel time and time again and you've thought in your mind, you've said, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, man, it'll just turn my life upside down. No, your life's upside down now. It'll write you you might think these people are not in their right minds. No, no, you're the one that's not in your right mind if you're lost. You're not thinking right. 
Listen, I compel you if you're lost. Turn from your sins to Christ. And listen, the essential component for any sinner coming to Christ is humility. Is humility. We talked with the little ones. Listen, when we sin, we need to realize, and this is, this is where the sinner comes to the threshold, when they realize that their sins are against a holy God. We all, people in the world look at sins against like each other. Your sin is ultimately against God. We ask the question about, you know, if your mama told you don't do this and you do it, who'd you sin against, my mama? Well, you sinned against God. How so? Because the Bible says children obey your parents and the Lord. And so to the lost, I implore you, I compel you, believe in Christ to the saving of your soul. But listen, what did we learn? What does God help us with today? Remember this, God continues to give more grace. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. But God gives more grace. He forgives us when we've sinned against him. And where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But remember this, God gives no grace to the proud. Well, I'm saved. God gives no grace to the proud. Child of God, don't resist God in his revealed will. Resist the devil in his ill will. Resist him. And finally, humbly submit yourself to God. Draw nigh to God. Confess your sins to God. Cleanse your hands and your heart. And fix your heart and mind wholeheartedly upon Christ and Christ alone. You'll see that next time James talks about the double-hearted. And that's one of the biggest problems in professing Christianity today is that a lot of professing Christianity, Christians rather, have two hearts. And you remember what Elijah said? How long will you halt between two opinions? God won't take half your heart. God says, give me all your heart. And so I pray the Lord would help us, help us all with this, beloved. Uh, most of all, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of our God. Let's dismiss in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you. I pray that, Father, you would give us as a church and as individual Christians, Father, I pray that you would help us, Father, to have a godly humility, a submission to you, Father, that we would draw nigh to you, uh, Father, that we would love your word, O God. We would love it in truth. O Lord, would you please help us all Forgive us for our sins. We pray that you'd save the lost among us, Lord, and that you might receive all the glory and the honor. We pray for the, the food, Lord. We thank you for it, uh, Father, which you've set before us. I pray that we would not eat sinfully, Father, but we would consider one another uh, even in that. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.